Hello, Chris Evans here. Welcome to the very latest instalment of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, the one and only Kate Winslet lifts the lid on exec producing and starring as a small-town detective in a new series, Mayor of East Town, coming soon to Sky Atlantic. Best-selling author Katie Kay spills the beans on co-writing the highly anticipated follow-up to her book, Living the Confidence Code. And acting royalty Charlotte Riley unveils the Wonderworks newest open letter campaign, Keeping Families in Film tackling childcare issues within the entertainment industry. All of that and so much more to come. Now, Vassas, tell us, who's our first guest? Her latest bestseller, Living the Confidence Code, is out now. And you know your book is doing its job when your 17-year-old daughter refuses to return your review <laughs> copy. Please welcome the coolest of cool catties. It's Catty Kay. Good morning, Catty. Good morning from Washington. I know. Well, what... good night from Washington, actually. Are you working today on the, on the telly box? Have you got your telly job going on later? I am. All right. For people who don't know yes. what you do there, just enlighten them. So I have a, sh- a daily news show that I present out of Washington. Here in America, we say I anchor it. In London, I'd be laughed out of town for saying that. So I present it um, on the BBC with Christian Fraser every evening. And how's it been news-wise um, since Joe Biden's uh, presidency uh, got underway? Because, you know, US political news has gone very quiet on this side of the pond since the exit of, of Donald Trump. Chris, are you saying we're boring you? No. Nope. I'm very I'm sorry <laughs> that America is not living up to No, but I'm just wondering what, you know. Uh, look, you're right. It's a lot calm. I mean, the whole sort of temperature mm. has come down. I used to wake up in with sort of slight heart palpitations <laughs> uh, to look at what the president had tweeted right. every morning. And I could feel my blood pressure rise when there was a presidential statement coming out when it was Trump. Right. And now things, you're right, it's, it's, it's quieter and calmer. And yeah, perhaps a little bit boring, but maybe that's for the best. Certainly probably better for my heart pressure. And how is Sleepy Joe doing? Because people said, you know, he's probably got six months in him, but that's the plan anyhow. He is low-key compared to Trump. Perhaps everyone is low-key compared to Trump. But what he's doing on terms of his agenda is actually super activist and, and big. Cool. Very cool. All right, so talk, changing America. Let's talk about your book, the, uh, Living the Confidence Code. Um, this is the compa- companion book, the complimentary book, the second book to your original number one New York Times bestselling, The Confidence Code for Girls. How does it complement the first book? Where, where are we moving on to in this narrative? So uh, The Confidence Code for Girls came out of work that we have done with neuroscientists and psychologists looking at how we can stop the drop-off in confidence in teenage girls. We found that girls lose their confidence between the ages of eight and 14. And what we want to do is try and catch them before they get there. And one thing we realize is that girls, well, all of us, we all learn really well from stories. And girls learn really well from other girls. I have a 15-year-old daughter. She does not listen to me, I can tell you. She (laughs) listens to her friends. So we thought if we could find girls from around the world who had done cool things and could inspire other teenagers, then perhaps that was a good way to help girls not lose their confidence. Okay, and your book stars uh, 30 amazing girls from around the world. How did you garner the girls from around the world? Yeah, our publishers came to us and said, could you do a book of 30 girls? We thought, oh, my God, this is going to be a reporting nightmare. And actually, of course, we could fill, you know, five books with girls from around the world. Turns out we have a a generation of teenage girls who are doing awesome things, who are real activists, who some of them doing big things. They are uh, there's sisters in Indonesia who have launched a campaign to clear the beaches of plastic. Uh, there's Amica George in the UK who launched Free Period. Some of them are well known. There's the Afghan robotics team. And some of them are doing small things. And I love that about the book that some of it's there's a girl in California, Taylor Fuentes. She's one of my favorites who was 
bullied in school relentlessly for months and she was getting really sad and you know her grades were suffering in school and her confidence challenge was to speak up about it because there's this kind of code of silence around bullying but she took the risk and she spoke up so the girls are different their stories are different but they all go through the same process of taking a risk and doing something hard to build their confidence and what you know is there a pattern that you that you have sort of put together from this as a as a playbook that will help them in similar situations where where they sort of they they need a bit of support yeah i mean look a lot of the girls in the book the reason we chose these girls is cuz they're honest about how you know it's hard and they do fail um and they mess up and they struggle and that's an important part of the process we found in our research that you build your confidence by doing hard stuff. I mean, I do my job every day. It doesn't challenge my confidence. If I was to come on the Chris Evans show and try and present that one morning, it would terrify me. Mm. The only way I'd know I could do it is by doing it. You'd be really good at it. But along the way, I would, <laughs> along the way, I would, you would lose, you know, half your audience the next morning. Um, and I would probably mess up. And that's what we like about these girls is they're honest about messing up. What we're trying to do for girls, what the reason girls lose their confidence is they become terrified of failing. And failure sits like a kind of big bogeyman on their shoulders. And we are basically trying to normalize failure. You're going to do it. Chris, you've failed. I've failed. Your mum has failed. Your best friend has failed. Your teacher has failed. So we have to accept that failure happens. But if you're so afraid of failure that you're never going to take a risk, you're not going to grow your confidence. Yeah, confidence is is so important, isn't it? It's so, it's so and it's so difficult to grasp. You know, it's it's sort of it's like a spectre, sort of seep, you know, seeping out of the room, and you don't know where it's gone, you don't know where it came from, and you, you sometimes yeah. you, you, when you get it, you think, oh, I've, I've sorted this now, I've nailed it, and then the next day you're as as unconfident as the most unconfident person in unconfidenceville. Do you do you agree that the obstacle is the way? Because it seems to be that from the stories, oh, the way round is the way through. Yeah, there's a lovely girl in this book called Anahi, and she set up a, th- a thrift shop in her school uh, in Texas because she realized that lots of kids didn't have warm clothes when it got to winter. So she wanted to try and help them. And she sets up this thrift shop and she's kind of nervous about doing it and thinking everyone's going to you know, think, why am I the person that's doing this? And the first day when the donations are going to come in, not a single donation. And she wants to crawl into her bed and never do it again and think, oh, my God, I was just, you know, I was being self-aggrandizing. I was putting myself out there and no one responded. But she kept going. She didn't crawl into her bed or she might have done for five minutes. But then she, she gets up and says, no, this I need to do this because these kids need these clothes. I know this is a good idea. And then eventually it works. Um, when you have a wobble, have you learned anything from, mm. from the writing of these two books that you can apply to your life or that, that blokes can apply to their lives? Are there any general yeah. rules that you can share with us now? You know, I, I mean, lots of men have said to us, well, we have confidence get falls off too. And one thing that we found that's really useful that actually I've learned from male friends and from my sons who, was, who you know, seem to do this like naturally is that even when you're afraid do it anyway. We mm. have this phrase, do it afraid, because most risks are a bit scary, yeah. but don't let that stop you from taking action. So do it afraid and don't try and be perfect. You're never going to get there. Yeah. It's a waste of time and energy. So give up perfection. Yeah, no, there's loads of those, isn't there? Do it afraid. I like that. I've not heard that one before. So do it afraid. There's ready, fire, aim. Just get on with it. You know, fire and try and steer the bullet or the arrow to where you want it to go. But you've got to fire it first to get on with it. Um, never let perfect be the enemy of good. Yeah. All those, are, they're, very, they're really useful, aren't they? I mean, they're cliches because they're true. 
Yeah, um, and you know, these girls have lived them. And they're such different girls from all over the world. You know, a girl who got herself out of a child marriage in Ethiopia, that is not a problem most girls in the UK or the US are ever going to have. But the process that she goes through of speaking up and finding her voice and taking a risk to speak up and challenging her dad, it's the same process that all of these girls have gone through. And who are your partners in crime here? Claire Shipman and Jalalin Riley? So Claire, uh, Claire and I have written, this is our fifth book together. Um, so we've done a whole series of books on, we started off doing writing books about women. We're writing another one at the moment. Uh, and Jill Ellen Riley has, is a wonderful writer who had written books for girls. Because the first time we wrote a book for girls, I gave it to my daughter, Poppy, the first chapter. And Poppy read the book, uh, read the chapter. And she came back to me and said, Mum, I don't mean to be mean or anything, but you know no one's going to read this, right? It's really boring. <laughs> Great confidence boost from your own daughter. You've got to love teenage girls. Um, And so we brought on Jill Ellen Riley, who had written books for girls, to help us out. And so your your last book was number one in the New York Times bestselling list. Is that so? Is this one, by the way? I was going to say, hit number one. It's just it came out at number one too. So we're really pleased. Thank you, Katty Kay. Living the Confidence Code. It's (laughs) great. It's out now, and as you just said, exclusively, it is the brand new number one New York Times bestselling book. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Today's guest needs ample shelf space for the props. She's taken from her film sets as well as the countless awards that come with them. Sky Atlantic's Mayor of Easttown hit screens on April the 19th and here to tell us all about exec producing and starring in the leading role on this Best Songs in the World Ever Winslet, it's the forever fierce queen of the screen, Kate Winslet. Morning, Kate. I shouldn't laugh, but that is quite quite the introduction. Exactly. Well, Hell's like, Bells does not disappoint, and I'm glad you weren't thanks, disappointed. How are you, Kate? What's going down? I'm good. I'm very good, Chris. How lovely to talk to you. And I've got to say, on behalf of myself and my family and all of our friends, your positive vibes in the morning on your show has gotten people through. So hats off to you. Thank you. You're amazing. Give ourselves a cheer. <laughs> We're always very happy to pat ourselves on the back, just in case nobody else yeah, ever does. Very good. But Kate, no, thanks so much. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, right, so listen, Mayor of Easttown, she's not a mayor, that's her name. So who is Mayor and where is Easttown? Okay, so uh, so Mayor, as you say, M-A-R-E, that's her name. So I play Detective Mayor Sheehan, and she is a middle-aged woman. Actually, she's a mother and grandmother who grew up in Easttown, where the show is set, in Delaware County, which is just outside of Philadelphia City in America. And uh, it's a tight-knit community. Everyone knows everyone and knows their personal stories, too. Um, and she's, yeah, she's a detective. She's seen as a local hero. She made a winning shot in a basketball game as a teenager, put Easttown on the map, and now now she's everyone's go-to detective and people lean on her for everything. So she's held up as an important local figure. And underneath the chippy, tough exterior, there's a woman who's burdened by a personal grief, a tragedy that she hasn't and can't confront. And so as the story and the murder story unravels, Mare starts to kind of catastrophically unravel as well. So there you have it. But she's not bro- yes. She's not broken. Like you say, she's burdened, she's vulnerable, she's fragile, but she's not broken. Yes, that's right. She's not broken. She's she, she's strong, but she has this 
she has this deep vulnerability inside of her and is very, very burdened by something that has taken place two, two years before the story begins. And, uh, and, and, and everyone knows what happened to Mare and knows that she won't and can't talk about it and doesn't dare to bring it up to her either. But it's clearly affecting her every day. It's also about the complexities of family life. It's about community. It's about forgiveness and having the strength and courage to sometimes just keep going yeah she was a really wonderful character to play you know she's sort of lovable but infuriating at the same time she could be your best friend but the thorn in your side and, and she ate absolute rubbish as well this was the thing i i, I ate so many fake foods on this show <laughs> and drank a lot of coffee and a lot of beer she doesn't she doesn't drink water actually ever right was so, the bit was the beer beer the coffee i presume was coffee but was the beer beer the beer's never beer, is it? It was. It was. It was boring, Chris. It was right. non-alcoholic okay. beer. <laughs> now, as I say, she isn't broken, but she did break you, didn't she? Because do you read your interviews back? Because the one in the Sunday Times in the culture section on Sunday was was fantastic. It was a very profound exchange, obviously. Um, but but you cried a lot throughout it. Just just recalling the depths you went to to create Mare. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. It, I mean, with this character, you know, I, I always shy away from sort of talking too much about the details of, you know, being an actor and putting things together and putting yourself out there. Because sometimes I think, it, you know, it can sound quite indulgent. But this character, I mean, she she really did. She really did get to me. And I'm still sort of trying to kind of get rid of her a little bit. But I was playing her for a very long time. And I was preparing to play her for six months. We started filming October 2019 and shut down in March last year, obviously, because of COVID and went back in October. And I just finished right before Christmas just gone. So I was really playing her for this extended period of time. And, you know, what she has to deal with and take on and go through and um, was it was a lot a lot for me to to carry and you know sometimes it does get in there and can get a little bit stuck so it's sort of yeah it was it was a tr- it was a tricky one this for sure yeah so and you've good. also described it as a potentially a, a transition moment for you as an actress haven't you well it did feel like that a little bit I think she was just so different so different to the previous role I played in, in a film called Ammonite and, and a lot of other things that I've done. She was just a, a real departure. And because I was an executive producer on the show, I was very involved in the kind of creative putting together of the project too. You know, I first read it in 2018. And so as the script would evolve and change over the period of preparing to play her, I was very much included in that and included in the casting of other actors. It was really exciting. And, you know, as you said earlier, like not watching my stuff back on the whole, I don't really watch watch myself on on screen. <laughs> I find it really disconcerting. It's so weird. Um, but with this one, I'm, I am actually having to because of the executive producing role. And, you know, obviously a lot of things happen in the edit and I've been included in that process. And Yeah, I was going to say, so what have you learned about that? Because it is a new string to your boat, newish anyway. So, so what have you learned about being an exec? You know, I've sort of learned by default along the way. Um, but yeah, I learned a lot more about it on this. My goodness, it was just a massive production, you know, 120 day shoot, which is very, very long, much longer than a film shoot. People often don't think that, you know, a film, a film shoot can be, you know, anything from sort of nine to 12 weeks, you know, and a, and a TV series can be anything upwards of 20 weeks. I mean, ours was, you know, a lot longer. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a it was a full on full on but very very 
rewarding experience. And I, and I have to say, I am, I am excited about the show and I don't tend to sort of publicly say things like that because, <laughs> again, I think it can sound a little bit, I don't know, un-British or something, but it is a good one. It's funny, isn't it, that even you feel like you have to apologise for saying some things, but I think you speak the truth as much, if not more, than most other people in this business. And I find you, oh, more, you. more compelling for that. Do you, know, do you, ever, do you, ever, feel oh, fear, do you ever feel fearful in these situations or, or not? Well, yeah, you do. You know, it's. I, th- I think you know, talking to you is obviously very exciting, but it's easy to kind of relax chit chatting because you're such an approachable person too. <laughs> but um, you know, but yeah, I mean, I think I think it's you know, I think we want to live now, don't we, yeah. in an honest, compassionate, and very equal, inclusive world. And the more that we can, I think, just speak the truth and look out for each other and. You know, not hide behind thing, hide behind things just because there's you know a hierarchy or a Hollywood system or just things that people sometimes don't dare say. Um, I think this is a different time now. I think I think things have changed so seismically in the last particularly two years um, globally. And uh, I think sort of speaking the truth really, um, I think it's important. Opening up conversations that maybe people might be too fearful to have. You know, that that just means a lot. You know, I think that's that's me as a parent. That's me as a person, you know, so I can't I, can't, I sort of can't change how I was raised. Chris, no, I know? love it. Kate. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, one bit from Sunday again. Um, have you read the interview back, by the way? snippets bits of it it's really bits, good yeah. it's really good there's oh, so cool, so much cool, in it uh, it says here trust thank me you. says Kate I don't think I can ever wear high heels again this is to do with premiers maybe not happening like they used to um, this is post-covid of course we'll see more women wearing flat shoes and pantsuits on red carpets I'm going to put this in for you thank god that's not in there um, and that's good it's quite a lot of pressure wearing a red carpet dress don't I've never done it uh, if you've got your period or you ate too much bread the week before I mean that's gorgeous <laughs> that is so fantastic that you say that Chris I'm telling you it's true and I will I I, I won't say their names but two extremely famous high profile Hollywood women have turned to me on red carpets and said I think I just got my period and they had yeah and had to leave, go home, and change. Oh, my goodness. So it happens. Well, you're awesome. And you've also said you were hired maybe in your younger days as a firecracker, and now you're more smouldering. How is the smouldering going? Oh, Chris, I don't know how to take that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going well. It's going well. I love it. I so I'm 45 years old. I've been doing this job since I was 17. Good for you. Somehow, somehow the mugs keep inviting me back to join the party, so wow. I'm grateful. Grateful, what can I say? I I would say you're halfway. I mean, you're halfway. You're no more than halfway. Does it feel like that? Um, I don't know. I sort of sometimes I still feel like I'm still getting going. You know, every job feels like my first. I still get terrified. I still get absolutely terrified before a first job. It's like first day of school. You know, you have to get it out of the way. And you do think, oh, God, everyone's looking at me and they think my accent's rubbish. And, you know, they don't think I can act very well. (laughs) You know, same. Those anxieties never leave you. But, you know, a bit of fear in life is a good thing, isn't it? It, You know, drives you to get things. But it's such a relief that Kate Winslet still gets nervous about acting. And she's she's one one of the, what do they call a gun there? things um i think you are you are talking about oscar yeah, of course we are yeah, yeah. <laughs> well what, do you, what else could we be talking about just out of interest about our dog who regularly runs off golden retriever often can be found in a nearby village not at our house <laughs> um, <laughs> um uh, i don't know so the kids sort of tend to 
moving around the house. I don't know. I know where. Funny. But I do still get scared. I know it's funny, isn't it? No, it's but, great. Uh, it's such a relief for me. I get nervous every single morning. Every single morning. Thank you, Kate, for your time. Thanks, Chris. Have the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. We have another guest and she's a superstar. Come on, let's get on with Our it. Our next guest is an acting supremo who's been in some of the best stuff on your telly. She's now setting up a campaign keeping families in film to tackle childcare issues on set. She's always smiley. We rate her highly. It's Charlotte Riley. <laughs> All right, Charlotte. Hello, how are you doing? Very well. Long time no see. Long time no speak, no see, no anything. Uh, but you're back I know. now. It says, it says, it said in the intro, you know, you're setting up this thing. But we talked about this last time you were on because the last I time know, yeah. we, you were on the show, we were at Paul Weller's house, weren't we? Do you remember? Yeah, I mean that was pretty epic. Was um, that's epic. Uh, one to, that was going in my one-liner day diary for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, obviously I talked to you about it last time uh, we saw each other. And now it's come to fruition. We launched it last International Women's Day. We worked on it all over summer. This is me and my business partner, Mark Radcliffe, and our brilliant team at Wonderworks. And then we opened our doors in September. So now we've got our first children from the Warner Brothers Leaveston lot. Their parents are working there. And we're looking after them from 7 in the morning till 7 at night and making sure that we're keeping families in film. And it's going really well. Right, now there is an open letter that people in the biz can sign uh, yeah. and you can see it at thewonderworks.co.uk slash open letter. Is it just for people in the film industry to sign, Charlotte? Well, I don't think so. I think this is something that affects, you know, all industries, particularly now after after COVID. You know, so many people are struggling with childcare that it is going to be have to be something that, you know, across all sectors, people are going to have to step up and support families with. You know, uh, local authorities are, are reporting that almost a third of nurseries are closing. Um, it is particularly pertinent to our industry because we lose so many talented people when they become parents. We've got a huge amount of brilliant grassroots support for diversity and inclusion uh, grassroots and getting people in there in their 20s. But we're not retaining those people when they become parents. And that's really the nub of the problem. You know, we people are struggling to crew up the you know the business is booming here but we need to keep those talented people in film so that we get the best level of uh diversity and inclusion across the board but it is definitely something that is affecting all sectors particularly after covid all right now if you'd like to see this come to life because it has go to the wonderworks.co.uk as well to look at this lovely film you've got this one minute film that's on there you know and because you 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 say in the film you know we are film people and i thought oh that's nice it's nice to be able to say that because we're radio people you know there are circus people there are medical people but you've got your own film family um because this is at warner brothers it's like it's like a super crash and i don't mean that in a zhuzhi kind of fancy schmancy kind of way it's just extremely cool so did some of the did some of the set builders and set designers who work on the movies help you with this sort of this this um wonder works wonder crash yeah well you know we've got we've got amazing uh little kitchens that were designed by a guy called joe vitez who's a props designer lovely we've got um amazing costumes designed by costume designers <laughs> um it's it's wonderful it really has been a labor of love all of our furniture is uh, made from old scaffolding boards from mm. sets that are, you know broken we repurposed everything we've got old props in there we, you know i spent my 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 lockdown last summer uh, we were allowed to be building over the over the summer, repurposing old old pop props, painting, sanding everything down, 
and it's been a real labour of love. But I think that's why this is important is because we, we uh, as a film family, really understand what film families need, which is total flexibility. And that's why this is important for us is because it's, it's tricky for uh, film people in the industry to find the kind of childcare that they need elsewhere. And that's why people leave is because they just can't make it work. And, um, you know, the industry can't change and because we need to work long hours. So we need to support those families at the hardest point in their life. You know, we all know, don't we? It's when you become a parent, you're like, oh, my gosh, how do I make this work with, <laughs> with my life now? I certainly know I found that. And I think it's, it's supporting parents through that transition to, to family life and film life. It's funny, isn't it? Because you say that and, you know, I'm a parent five times over and you're two, <laughs> two, two, two plus a spare. And um, it's one of the thoughts, just you saying it again, it always makes me shudder. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> with the thought of what did we do with our time before we had kids? Because we had I so know. much spare time. <laughs> I was like, what did, how did we fill it? I mean, I you know. I think this all the time. I sometimes I sometimes cry when people are like, should we just like watch TV all day and eat pizza? Yeah, I know. And then I almost shed a tear because I'm like, this is never gonna happen for at least ten years. Oh, no, well, no, t- times that by two. I got two two emails last week um, on the bank holiday weekend. One from a pal of mine saying, uh, do you fancy coming over for garden drinks at five o'clock? No, not <laughs> an, not an option for the next <laughs> five, six, happen. seven or eight years. Well, how about six? No, and he's got four kids. You, but you forget. I said, I. You remember, five o'clock tea time, six o'clock bath time, seven o'clock stories, eight o'clock, I haven't got any energy left for anything in the world. And then another mate said, do you fancy coming for a drive tomorrow morning at half past nine? No, you can't. You, you don't, <laughs> what is wrong with you? And he's got loads of kids and he's like, how quickly you forget. Um, Amelia, know, Amelia yeah. you don't have any children yet. No. You, you don't have a partner as we speak here. No. Um, but you're back in the dating game because what's going on, you know, COVID's finally being eased off and unlocked and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you have all this time on your hands. Are you aware of the fact how free you are? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think lockdown has made all non-parents very happy. <laughs> As in, I think you, we realise how lucky we are more so with lockdown and everything. I think it's made us realise that we're very oh, I, used, I used to ring my friends and be like, tell me what you're doing. Tell me what's yeah. happening during your lockdown, please, so I could fantasise. Vicariously living through, yeah, through your past. exactly. Okay, here's a question for you, right? From one parent to another. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, we've still got twins under three. Um, right. Your youngest is just about to approach four, I think. No, two, two. Our youngest is two, yeah. Two, okay, she's so just about to approach three. When... Say tea time slipped a little bit. Very rarely yeah. does in our house because Tasha's in charge. And then bath time goes awry a bit. And suddenly it's story time and you're a bit late and you're a bit tired. And whatever time is left for you, there's there's even less of it than usual. Do you skip a few pages in the storybooks hoping the kids won't notice? Do you know what? The littlest one wouldn't notice. The five-year-old, he's like, hang on a minute. Yeah. What about the bit where the yeah. ship comes in? So oh, I can't yeah. get away with it with the five-year-old. The two-year-old... Uh, he, he he's fine. I, I I can tell him a story out my head, and he'll be happy with that. Yeah, pick up, just pick up a book, pretend the story's from the book, but it's not. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, see, this exactly. is Amelia. This is all we've got to cling on to. We're making the most of these <laughs> these stolen moments from our children. <laughs> these milliseconds that you're saving. <laughs> yeah. All right, Charlotte. Well, listen. Good luck. Well done. Congratulations. Thanks, love. You said you were going to do it, and you've done it. So congratulations, Charlotte. Um, Thank you. It's fantastic. TheWonderWorks.co.uk slash own letter. Go there to have a look at the letter. See if you want to sign it. See if you're qualified. See if it feels right in your tummy. And also to see this lovely little film uh, that Charlotte has made about the first ever WonderWorks crash nursery. Call it what you like at the Warner Brothers lot here in the UK.
Charlotte Riley doing great things for families in film. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. All right, we've already heard from a handful of our colossal guests already, but there's still so much more to come. The superb Sally Lindsay takes us on a turbulent ride in her new Channel 5 crime drama, Intruder. Golfing great Nick Doty joins us ahead of the Masters Golf Tournament, exclusively live on the dedicated Sky Sports, the Masters Channel. The brilliant Brian Bell, live from California, tells us about the unstoppable Weezer, delving into the group's 14th studio album, OK Human, as well as their upcoming orchestral live stream and hopefully Stadium UK and Ireland tour and superstar Tom O'Dell breaks our hearts with his new single Monster and the story and the video behind it all of that and more still to come so let's get right back to the action Vassos who is next from Corrie to loose women to still open all hours when our next guest is on your telly it's impossible to turn over she's now starring in the gripping crime drama Intruder on Channel 5 at 9pm all this week and it really is impossible to turn over or think about anything else. Please welcome the superb Sally Lindsay. Morning, Sally. <laughs> Morning, Chris. How are you? Very well. Um, you have an interesting situation on your hands at the moment. Tell us about that. Yeah, I'm basically trapped in a hotel room in Malta for two weeks. We're on day four at the moment, and I'm glad I never did the Big Brother uh, thing because I'm going a bit mad already. So you're quarantining so you can do a job, is that correct? Yeah, we're filming out here for the thing, the next thing I'm doing, which I'm, I've written myself with my writing partner. And that's nothing like Intruder, but it's a little bit different. But um, yeah, we're filming out here in Malta for, for eight weeks after that. But we have to do two weeks quarantine. They're very strict over here. But, um, you know, it's a beautiful island. We're actually on the island Gozo, so it's like paradise, really. I can see it, but I can't touch it. Very infuriating. <laughs> no, because you're super talented, Sally Lindsay, and also very wily. And, you know, Channel 5 come to you and say, look, we want to give you a little um, sort of production deal here. How about three different shows? And you say, yeah, OK, that's fine. You sign on the dotted line. And the first thing you write on the script is Malta. <laughs> or somewhere else. Absolutely gorgeous. Is well, that, do you know what it was? Is that how it works? Go on, tell me. Remember when I came on talking about cold call, and I, I was when I was filming that, and I was in a caravan, and I seem to have spent most of my career on a caravan parking lot in Manchester. So I just thought, no, next thing I'm writing is in the sunshine. <laughs> okay, I, I have some information about what you're doing. It's um, Sunny's in Malta. She prepares to shoot the six-part thriller, The Reluctant Madame Blanc. It's a thriller comedy as well, so it's a bit, it's a bit, it's not as dark as as, as the rest of the stuff. <laughs> it's funny, though, isn't it? Because because yeah. comedy thrillers are very hard to get right, and I'm sure yours will be. But you know, Knives Out. Have you seen Knives Out? That movie with Daniel Craig. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's so yeah. clever because it is really funny, but it is it still is gripping. So that that's a tough it's, trick to pull off. The thing is, it wasn't meant to be funny, but because I've, I've, I've writing with my friend Sue, and Sue Vincent is really funny. It just sort of happened. It's a little bit funnier than we thought it would be. <laughs> Wow. So it's just come out like that. But it is a thriller, yes. But um, this show, Intruder, you can't really go to sleep after this one because I tried last night and failed miserably. Um, do you want to pitch it to everyone <laughs> so they know what we're talking about? Yeah, so what's happened is there's this very Gigi couple who think they've got everything sort of sorted in their life. They've got great jobs and they've got this beautiful house down by the coast and they've got this dinner party and they're all a bit, they all get a bit sort of squiffy and a bit self-important. And two young, very, very young lads break in just for, you know, um, terribly, you know, to rob them. And one of them tries to try to escape, they get caught. But one of the, the, the guy in the house, he stabs him in cold blood in the back. There's no need for him to do it because he was literally 
he was escaping. So therein lies the story. So it's a really interesting drama in the fact that it started with a crime. And then what happens is the unravelling of all the terrible backstory of what's happened between this couple. And then I play this um, very sort of underrated, she's sort of undercared for little um, family support officer. Mm. She just comes in to see the family and to see if everybody's all right. She is a police officer, but she's not, um, you know, she's not active in the case. And she just knows something's not right because they try to cover it up. And because they're posh and because they're rich, Everybody sort of believes them, and she she knows there's something wrong, and so she just follows them, and she just and picks the case, and and you find out these horrendous things that's happened in their past, and it's all it's all going on. So this, the crime <laughs> is sort of the last. It is brilliant, but it's the last thing, you know, it's, it, it's the least thing that's hor- horrific, really. Yeah, I love <laughs> it. It just goes on. It's like the roller coaster, like you said. You, you're good at this, Sally. You know, it's, it's massively understated. You'd, you're being very normal, you know, you're saying, well, hang on a minute, if, if you bring this down to normal, and the, fir- the first sort of glimpse we have of that is the conversation you have as a victim's counsellor with the victim's dad, where the, the dad says something yeah. so simple... And you think, oh, hang on a minute, okay. Should we talk about this, or is that a bit of a spoiler, do you think? I don't know. What do you think? It's so hard, isn't it? Cause yeah. it's so... She basically, she believes the dad. Yeah. That's it. She just says, my, my son would never, ever do this. And she believes him. And I think the thing about the character of Karen Bailey, that is the name of the, of the lady I'm playing, is the fact she's quite dowdy. She's quite, you know, sort of invisible, a woman of a certain age. And yeah. people don't feel threatened by her. And yeah. they should be. You know, because she goes into these places and she observes and she knows about body language, she knows about people, and she knows who to believe and who not to believe. And I think it's a real statement on that, you know, sort of social workers and family service officers that literally at the forefront of the, this grief of families all these times, and they know what's going on, they really do. I mean, I, when Gareth sort of gave pitched it to me, I was like, this is a little bit like old, you know, Columbo. Do you remember yeah. Columbo? Yeah, yeah. So close, you know, yeah. when he just wouldn't let anything lie. Yeah. And it's almost like the female version of that because he's really <laughs> normal. And he's, yeah, that was in my head when I was, I was going to say, was like, oh, this is clever. Now you've called that out. I get it completely. I get that in your performance. But you didn't have the cigar or the raincoat. That's the only two things you were no, missing. No, I didn't. I, I did ask for one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My <laughs> wife. Hey, my wife. Take my wife. Come on. My, my wife. Yeah. One, yeah. More, um, one more thing. One more obviously thing. Obviously, completely. Just completely different, but he just because he's not impressed by fame or money or anything, he just goes in and literally sees what nobody else sees. And and that was, you know, that was a a real influence to me. But also an influence was my mum because my mum was a social worker for 25 years. And she was um, a very, very normal, very lovely woman. But she used to go into the most horrific situations. I mean, Chris, I can't even tell you. And she would know what had gone on within five minutes. Yeah. But she would have to sort of work it out. She knew who needed protecting. She knew who was the instigator. And it, it was so fascinating when she used to... I mean, she never discussed the cases. She never said names, but we knew the stories. And so that was sort of, sort of influenced from that as well, really. Yeah. Um, and all these, all these women and men around the country are doing this job every day. That's the fascinating thing. You know, I, I'm just playing it once, but they're doing it every single day, these amazing people. Yeah, and it's funny, isn't it? Because they don't get lost, at, like your mum. She didn't get lost in the drama. Everybody else was shocked by the drama because they weren't used to it. But because yeah. she's used to it, the drama doesn't sort of contaminate her perspective on what's happened. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. Because, but when, when it was anything to do with me and our Chris, and my brother's called Chris as well, so when it was to do with me and our Chris, like, she used to go absolutely mental. But if it was like yeah. any of her kids she was looking at, she was the calmest person alive. I was like, why don't we get that? Yeah, well, well because we're emotional beings first and thinking beings second. And because she, there is, she can yeah. park her emotion at home, she can get into other situations, completely suss them. But, you know, we are feeling beings over thinking beings. And we're always feeling first, even though we want to think we're thinking first. But that's just not how it works, is it, Sally? It isn't. It isn't. But, um, but yeah, but she was a great influence for this. Her and Columbo. All right. Well, what, what, what a perfect pot to pick from. Sally, uh, good luck with your quarantine. <laughs> Thanks so much. The show's amazing. Intruder continues tonight and stream on my five. And Sally's always welcome on the show whenever she darn well likes. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next guest is a smash hit singer-songwriter, a piano man whose cover of Piano Man on this show, along with the river we just heard, still sends shivers down our virgin spines. His latest single, Monster V.2, is out now. And here to tell us all about it, it's the tip-top terrific Tom O'Dell. All right, Tom. (laughs) Hello. Hello, Bassos. Hello, Chris. Great to hear your voices. Oh, great to hear you. And uh, well done. Just well done generally. Again, the fourth album. Uh, we were sent a sample last night of the of the forthcoming album. I know we're not allowed to play anything, but first of all, can I tell you that Lose You Again had me and my wife in tears in bits last night. What a tune. What a oh, tune. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased you love Lose You oh, Again. Oh, mate. And it's, it is a different album from the last three. I mean, you know, they've got, you know, the Tom O'Dell, so they have a Tom O'Dell sound, but you've done something differently this time around. What might that be? Well, you know, I recorded it, most of it at the end of my garden. I, you know, I planned to get the band in and, you know, was all set up. And then, you know, the pandemic hit and, you know, we're sort of forced to use, well, much less instrumentation and, and, you know, the instrumentation I could get hold of in my garden and I got a little shed at the back of it. Um, But yeah, it's great. I, I mean, I'm super proud of it. It's a mammoth task. I mean, it's like 16 tracks, this album. Um, I wrote it over two years. You know, it's really interesting, just listening down the phone, listening to those two songs, and like, they're so good, those two recordings, those live recordings. It's weird doing this job. I don't ever sort of give myself a pat on the back, but and I'm not giving myself a sort of narcissistic, like, oh, it wasn't that great, but it was just so nice to listen to them, because I was like, they were good. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know why I'm congratulating myself. No, but I get it. And it's about, it's, it's not dissimilar to when, you know, in my career, when you've done a TV show and you're in the thick of it. And then it's a couple of years later, you realise how much fun you were having and how, how good a job the team was doing. And because of the pandemic, you know, people who are mid-career, you know, as, like, as yourself, uh, you, who are in flow, you have this sort of temporary um, distance, if you like, to make those reflections. And there's absolutely, absolutely nothing wrong with that. And it's, I think it's very healthy. Tom? Yeah, I think it's good. It's weird. I was talking to a mate of mine recently, you know, similar job to mine, and not complaining, but the sad thing about being a musician right now is like all, 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 the, all the good bits have been taken away. Yeah. All the reasons we got into this was to play live in front of an audience yeah. and that thrill of doing that, you know, it keeps you going. It's the fuel we're all running off. Um, so when, you know, you those early mornings or those radio interviews or that, that time when, you know, your manager calls you up and says, you know, we didn't get the thing we wanted. It doesn't matter because you're out there with the crowd yeah. and, and that's fueling you on. And it's, it's, it's mad like that being removed. It becomes a very different job. 
I feel like more of a sort of businessman at the moment. Yeah, I get, I, I, I get it. I get it. You know, um, you, the video for we don't know how to say it. Monster V point two. How do you say it? It's just Monster. I mean, the song's called Monster. Right. The album's called Monsters. So did you, is um, this a result of you asking your fans for how they're feeling at the time? Because I know the video features lots of your fans. So I wrote, I wrote, the, I wrote this song, right? I, I get pretty bad anxiety and I've suffered from anxiety for years. And I wrote this song about trying to overcome these panic attacks. Right. Um, I was getting panic attacks. They were getting worse and worse and worse. And it got to a point where I was like, every time I step in a studio, my heart would start racing and I'd get this panic attack and it was getting like bad. And I wrote this song, Monster, about trying to relearn myself, reteach myself how to live without having them. And, you know, it was about trying to tell myself that this fear I was feeling was irrational. Like when, you know, this, I'm sure whether you've dealt with panic attacks or I'm sure there's thousands and thousands of people listening that have had them, but everything in your body is telling you to run. Yeah. It's just saying, run, run. The fear, it's anguish just flowing through you. And part of the way I was told to, to try and get over them was to just convince you have to be rational and tell yourself this is not real. So this is what this song is. Um, and I actually, you know, I, without, it sounds like exaggerating over the top, but you know, like this, this song was really uh, the song that sort of massively helped me get over them. Good for um, you. So that's where it started. Anyway, then I asked my fans, I said, what does the word monster mean to you? And we got sent in thousands of videos. I put this email address up. And we were getting like an email, an email every 10 seconds was like a video of what the word monster meant to them. Incredible, like snapshot of around the world, like what people's demons are, yeah. you know, whether it be like, I don't know, dead, some leader, like right wing leader in their country, or whether it be they're dealing with bulimia or it's how they see themselves in the mirror. They see this monster looking back at them. I mean, we just got every response you can imagine they sent in and it, and it created this video that was just mental and you know what going back to that conversation about having a connection with your audience it was so exciting and exhilarating for me to have a connection with my audience again um through making this video and you know i edited i edited it and spent a few days like just going through all this footage and it's really amazing experience so well, even if you d- hate my music check it out check out <laughs> nobody hates your music for heaven's sake <laughs> you're a genius and they do say don't they a, pro- a problem shared is a problem half but if it's shared by half of the world then it's it's close to being annihilated you yeah know? exactly and there's lots yeah. of tears and there's lot genuine tears you know from your fans and you know i'm sure they've all given their permission to be on the video and it's brilliant it's brilliant because as long as you know when you know other people are feeling the same and you don't, you're not on your own, then it's, it's not job done, but you're pretty much halfway there, I would say, to, 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 to fixing whatever it is that might be broken. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And I've been super liberated on this album campaign by talking about this stuff that I used to think was indulgent. Yeah. I've sort of like had this great liberation actually just saying, talking about how I feel as honestly as possible because I've realised that if I can just help one person that 
is also feeling or suffering from anxiety, then, you know, it's so powerful that. And I'm sort of like, I feel like I've always been honest. And now I've got this public duty to sort of always be honest with everything I do going forward. And, and I feel like I've found a great sort of role in that and a power in that. So I feel good about that. I love that. And, you know, in your stage performances, and, you know, as a live performer, I've always said this about you, don't listen because you get embarrassed. Um, he, there's nobody better in the world, in the world, to watch live no. than Tom O'Dell. No. But within that, there's a vulnerability and there's an anguish, you know, and that's why I find you so compelling as a performer, because what happens to you on stage comes from deep within. And there is an absolute truth there. You know, it's, it hasn't been articulated like you're articulating it now, but it was on show and it was evident. So you've always been honest and you've always been truthful, not just perhaps in the English language. And that's why I find you, I, th I think you're amazing, Tom. Oh, that's so sweet, Chris. That's, 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 really deeply very like touching it means a lot to me yeah i didn't mean I, did, I, did, I, I didn't mean it <laughs> <laughs> just trying to sound nice no of course i meant it <laughs> tom uh, i love you to death and um, please tell me when i can play um something that you sent me uh, that you asked me not to play last night without getting thrown in jail because the second i can i will i'm oh, i'm desperate to play you lose you again to the, to, to the great british public i can't wait to play me and my friends again C please please come on the show and and play all these songs play the whole album i don't care oh, i'd love to whenever Maybe. you want whenever you want to do it you can yeah, I'd love to. Maybe we are we allowed to in May or June? Can I come, can I come in the studio and, and play? The second you we, you can do it, i.e., yeah. from no, the second you are allowed to do it, just come and do it. That's it. We'll find right, it. We'll find out when that is. And you, all right, Tom, um, have a fantastic Friday. Well done. Uh, lots of love to all your fans. Uh, check out the video for what we're going to play now on the radio. Uh, see you later, Thank pal. you, Chris. Bye-bye. You're very Big welcome. Big love to Bye-bye. Lots of love. Tom O'Dell and Monster, but you've got to check out the video. Check out the video now. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. It's such a major, major, it gets its own TV channel. Sky Sports Masters is already on air, live from Augusta, Georgia, where they dye the lakes just the right shade of blue and the best golfers in the world vie for a mint green jacket. So please welcome the big, booming drive straight down the middle of Sky Sports coverage. It's Nick Doherty. Good morning, Nick. <laughs> morning, guys. How are you doing? Very well. Now, Nick, we've never talked about this on the air before, but I think this is the time, all right? The golf courses okay. have never been busier. I've never been more tempted to swing a club in anger or peacetime. But the last time you and I played golf together, you won £50,000 and I won a tin tray. How did that happen? <laughs> how's that, how's that I, fair? And we were on the same well, team. Well, I, and to be fair, you did all the work, right? I know. You I did didn't want to. I didn't want to say that. And have you won anything since? No, actually. Uh, <laughs> I, that, that's, I, I was thinking about it. Masters is always a fun week. I get super excited about it. But my best moment on the golf course was probably you bring the old course to its knees. Oh. Um, it was just a, a sight to behold. And the champagne after you talking about not being able to have a drink anymore. Yep. You made up for it that night. Yeah, winners are grinners, aren't they, Nick? Winners are grinners. Yeah, we we started. We started with a cold glass of fizz on the 18th fairway. Um, at St Andrews and 90 minutes later we were in our favourite pub in Ascot drinking pints of lager and lime that, that's <laughs> how you celebrate a win right is it true um, let's talk about some of these potential myths or truths about Augusta Nick if you don't okay. mind do they really dye the lakes a certain shade of blue do they really paint the grass green you know what, to what extent do, the, do they go to to make this the golfing nirvana the world then beholds 
There is nothing that they won't do to present uh, the greatest show on grass every year. They do mess about with colours. That's not unusual. We see that at quite a lot at, at different golf courses as well, especially at this sort of level. Um, but the fact is, obviously, azaleas don't bloom for all that long. And if they somehow don't get the conditions for them to bloom correctly, they will go and take azaleas from somewhere where they are blooming correctly, bring them in and replant them for the week there. So they'll just move what they have to to make it look the, well, the magical place that we get used to looking forward to every beginning of April each and every year, Chris. So uh, I get super excited about it. It looks mega, doesn't it, on the TV? And it's one of those places when you actually get to go there it more than lives up to its hype and reputation. It is something else. Can't, can't argue with anything you're saying there. And what do you think the atmosphere is going to be like from the golfers' point of view? Because they are as grateful as anybody else to, to be back doing what they do for a living. I know that that's already started, but, you know, because mm-hmm. Augusta is such a special occasion anyway, do you think we'll see greater bonhomie than we've ever seen before? That energy and the roars that we're used to hearing, they will be there for us to enjoy. And it adds to the viewing experience at home as well. The... Uh, echoey roars amongst those lolly pines at Augusta is something else. It's a bit different to anywhere else. And I think golfers are grateful that they have been able to continue with their careers, make their livings. Uh, the golfers really had a light shone on it, I suppose, not just for what it does, but for the mental health benefits and going down to our level and amateur golf as well. So golf is booming at the moment. Uh, and of course, for us at home as spectators who like to watch the best in the game play, it's been a great time because when we've been stuck indoors a lot more recently, we've had something to watch over Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Have you seen the car parks of the local golf clubs, especially around where you live? Because you're in the thick of the Golden Triangle. Yeah, yeah, it's chocker, isn't it? It's absolutely mad busy. I'm glad it's like that, to be honest. The coverage has already started. Sky Sports Masters, of course. You're not there. Was there ever a chance of you getting out there this year? They were talking about it uh, a while ago. It was just the nature of this problem for us with the travel is the safety and obviously Sky wanting to have people there to give it the biggest amount of clout they can to any tournament we do. But it's got to be reasonable to be able to do it, safe to do it, and obviously working with different governments and different bodies. So at the moment, we still have a great presence on the ground. We've got Cara from Golf Channel who's working with us as well there. We've got Rich Beam and Paul McGinley who are over there. Uh, And then we've got uh, a lot of our team back here in the studio as well, Sarah will be there, I'll be there, Ewan Murray, Andrew Colzar, Wayne Riley, all the usual crew. So, and, and we've got all our spells and whistles getting out as well. The VR stuff, which has gone down a treat, being able to look at a um, virtual reality golf swings of the best players in the game, moving around them in a 360-degree way. You know, we are throwing everything we have at this to make it the special event that it deserves to be, because there is only one Masters after all. And any, any, any bets for us, if you fancy the flutter this week? Anybody you yeah, fancy okay. the look of? So, I picked Spieth. A week ago, before he actually, he's actually just won. Mm-hmm. After 1,351 days without a win, he just won last Sunday. Um, so he's less of an outsider now, but I still fancy his chances, a former winner there as well. But my soft spot pick is Lee Westwood, 48 years old. I just think it's his turn. And he's shown some good signs recently. He's had a couple of second-place finishes in massive events in the United States. We're all desperate for Lee to win a major championship and what a perfect end to a 2021 Masters that would be. Let's lump it on Lee, shall we? Yeah. Lump it on Lee and then if he loses, <laughs> Nick's paying for all the drinks next Monday. Perfect. Okay. I think I've got something just cropped up actually next Monday. <laughs> oh, <no. yeah. laughs> Nick Doherty doing great business for Sky Sports, Sky Golf, Sky Sports Masters. Yeah, the Masters starts this Thursday at 2pm till Sunday the 11th of April live and exclusive on Sky Sports, the Masters. Thank you. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Our next guest has 
been smashing the music scene for 30 years with album after superb album. OK Human is out now and a one-off live stream takes place next Saturday, complete with two Los Angeles orchestras. So please welcome a top geezer from Weezer. It's Brian Bell. Morning, Brian. Hello, hello, hello. hello. It's 22 minutes past nine here in the UK. It's 22 minutes past one o'clock in the morning where you are. That's right. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Just one thing, uh, just just for anyone that like, uh, it's like, wait a second. He wasn't in the band in 1992. I actually joined in 1994 for the recording of the first album. The band started in 92. That's all I want to say about that. Yeah, well, to be honest, I knew that. And yeah. I can only I, I, oh, okay. I can only beg for forgiveness. That was my colleague, Vassas Alexander, who, when it comes to stats and facts, he's rubbish. And he's a sports reporter, right? And so he just guesses, uh-huh. he just guesses scores. Like, yeah. So Scotland, you know, you've, yeah. heard of, you've heard of Scotland, haven't you, Brian? Yeah, so... I have. Yeah. I love Scotland. Scotland are in yeah. the World Cup, and uh, they play against uh, somebody a couple of weeks ago, and he says, oh, yeah, they lost. And they, in fact, they drew. So that was that. that, was that. That's great news for Scotland, I guess. Well, it was better news than, than, than Vassos originally announced. It's got to be said, yeah. What is the Weezer vibe like? Because I heard the album on the way in today, right? And I had to turn it yeah. off. Listen to this, Brian. I had to turn it off because yeah. it was getting me too excited for my show. How about that? Oh, that's... that's we can't ask for any a better reaction than that. <laughs> not from a 55-year-old, you, know, you can't. The... Um, I think the question sort of was, how's it, how's it right now, the vibe or yep. whatever? The, the, the vibe has never been better. I, I feel, I guess, you know, cl- closing in on nearly 30 years of this, um, closer to everyone than ever before, and everyone seems to be having more fun than they ever had. So it's, a, it's just a great time in our uh, band's history. Isn't that interesting? But, you know, I said to Mira, who loves her music, our exec producer, I said, there's no, I'm trying to find an album track on the album. There isn't one. You know, they're just all, it's wall to wall, which is the Weezer way, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, in a way, we, we, we go, uh, we, we try to make a, a, a piece of work uh, that, that's unified, and then we kind of listen to what we have, and then we say, Do, is there a single on this uh, album to help promote it? So. It, we look at as uh, all my favorite songs that's kicked off the record as, as the single, but uh, we recently just shot a video for uh, Grapes of Wrath that Amazon paid for because we mentioned audible.com in the song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we mentioned Audible. We're gonna ro- I'm going to rock my Audible headphone rates for, uh, Grapes of Wrath. I know? know, I heard that, and that jumped out at yeah. me, funny enough. Yeah. Um, Grapes of Wrath, great song. Playing My Piano is funky. I like playing my piano because it sounds yeah. like Rivers was in lockdown and he actually went mad and recorded it. That's what it sounded like to me. That, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that he gets very personal in the very beginning. You're like, whoa, um, <laughs> TMI perhaps. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's cool. It's very Rivers. No one else can, can usually get away with that stuff. Yeah, like he's he just, can. the kids are downstairs. The yeah. wife's in the kitchen. I <laughs> haven't washed my hair for three weeks and I'm just playing my piano. Love it. Absolutely. Seriously love it. Right, what's going on next week? Tell us about April 17th, 6 p.m. our time. OK Human live stream. What's going on there? Okay, so uh, there's an amazing venue in Los Angeles that was um, built by the architect Frank Gehry called Disney Hall. Uh And um, I guess Disney owns it. And uh, but that's kind of where, you know, the Disney connection stops. But uh, and it has 
one of the most incredible pipe organs you've ever seen inside of it that um, kind of looks like a Dr. Seuss's instrument or something. It's, it's, it's just really fascinating looking, and there's no right angles in the building at all. So the, the acoustics are about as perfect as they can be inside of a, a structure. And um, just being in that building and that, that incredible architecture um, was, was awe-inspiring for us and, and kind of a dream come true. And then we got to play uh, during, you know, still lockdown sort of out here. Uh, no audience was allowed, but uh, there, there was an orchestra and, uh, and us and, and the songs of OK Human are played in its entirety. And then we added uh, about eight more songs of, uh, you know, our catalog to play. Um, I actually haven't heard the mix yet, um, so I, I'm, I'm just as eager to hear it as anyone else. So, I mean, Weezer, you know, as, as we say, on the precipice of the 30th anniversary next year, um, has it always been a happy camp? You see, I'm no, I know there have been band changes and you went on a hiatus in the early noughties, but, you know, yeah. you seem like a g- generally a, a very happy bunch of campers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be lying to say it's always been happy. There's been, There's been some darker moments. We had a bass player... Uh, well, he he, he kind of had a, a mental breakdown and had uh, couldn't you know take the rigors of uh, all the songs he hadn't learned and uh, and so we had to replace him and uh, you know that wasn't so happy. We had another bass player quit on us um, early on, uh, and then we had a, just finding replacements is not the funnest thing to do. No, um, because I, I don't like the I don't like the audition process because you have to you know turn people away and almost immediately you know if somebody's going to gel or not yeah, yeah. and you're like okay you, you you like didn't get the part just walking in the door um but um it has not you know it, it just it's so hard to fit into a a group that's already existed you know yeah um but luckily we have found that with our present bass player and we've been with him since 2001 and does is, is rivers technically the boss or are you 50 50 with the band <laughs> well, I mean, technically, it's uh, we all we are 25, 25, 25 percent of Weezer, but uh, I mean, it, it really is and always has been Rivers' baby, and um, you know, you can't. It's like this is great, let's do this. It's like okay, but uh, you know, we got to run this by Rivers, you know, like so. Yeah, sure. Well, you could call him the boss as well. Okay, I'm only saying that because, you know, he's made you stay up till half past one in the morning to do the interviews, you know, with Europe. Where is he probably in bed now? Does he, is, that, is that the kind of uh, punches he gets to pull because he is the boss? I said he was in bed about four hours ago. Four hours ago. Four hours ago. That's the Weezer yeah. frontman for you now. But he's gearing up for yeah. every, all the hardware, all the industry and the labor you're going to throw away hopefully this year. Uh, Brian, hey, thanks. It's, it's his law. It's his law. He, you know, <laughs> you know, getting to talk to UK, UK Breakfast Show, that's, that's a, an honor. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure. That, Brian, you're our new favorite, Brian. Okay, Brian Bell, clears in the name. Glad to hear it. Brian gave us a bell, uh, live from over the pond. Uh, You're awesome. Brian, great to talk to you, pal. Uh, Give our love to Southern California and that blue, blue sky. Got a bit of our own this morning. Um, And hope to see you soon. Come If you're over here, come and play live on our show. We have live bands on the show and we love live music here. Thank you so much. Oh, we definitely will. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye, Brian. Goodbye and good night, my friend. And thank you for joining us. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.